Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. Vit here for another great interview on the Success Inspired Podcast. My guest today is somebody really special to me. In 2015, he inspired me to be a better version of myself and really helped me reignite the fire when I was going through some challenges in my business. I attended his three-day intense personal development event in Sydney, and this was probably one of the best three days spent on myself. And today, four years later, actually five years later, I'm privileged to have him as a guest on the show to help inspire you to become better too. He is number one Wall Street Journal best-selling author of the book Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. As a sought-after top international keynote speaker, MC, and workshop facilitator, he has reached tens of thousands worldwide with his message of resilience. An attorney, entrepreneur, transformational trainer, and executive mentor, he is a business culture catalyst who inspires, empowers, and guides organizations and individuals to create sustainable, high-performance strategies. His latest workbook, the I Love My Life Challenge, is available right now to pre-order at the time of publishing this podcast. It's probably going to be available already. It's inspired by his vital TEDx talk, and the workbook includes tangible, repeatable prompts and exercises that readers can use personally and professionally to center themselves for better performance in the face of change. Please welcome to the show, Adam Markel. Awesome to be here, Vid. Great, great to uh, for you and I to reconnect. Absolutely, yeah. It's like we're we're you and I are reigniting. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. Like I tell you, what that that 2015 or 2016, I can't remember if it was 2016. Anyway, that year, you know, I was I was scaling my business. You know, my fitness business. I was taking over a gym. I was, you know, I just signed an exclusivity agreement to to have personal trainers working under me and. And everything was sort of going well, but also at the same time, I was working long hours and, and, you know, I felt like maybe a little bit of doubt, you know, that the, the imposter syndrome a little bit. So going to your event, I must say, you know, I, I left well, like very refreshed, you know, like some, some, there were some really key questions that, that you asked us, the audience and, and some exercises some breakthrough exercises that we did and I really enjoyed the whole experience, you know, like the breaking of the arrow against the neck and, and, and chipping the board. And yeah, so it was really amazing. Just want to say, you know, thank you once, once again for delivering because it was really, I would say probably one of the best, best events I've went to and highly recommended anybody guys listening. Well, I'm not sure if you, if you, if you still do these events, uh, but if you guys get to see a ch- chance to see him, live uh, public speaking. He is an excellent public speaker. And yeah, once again, I just want to say uh, thank you for what you do. It's um, amazing work. Thank you, Vit. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, now, the, yeah. go ahead. No, after you. Go right ahead. Uh, I was going to say, you know, I was going to just uh, say oh, we could dive straight right in. And, and I was going to ask, you know, what inspired this focus around resilience that you always talk about? Well, resilience, I think, is is the, it really is the most important thing that we can develop as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, owners, operators of a business, and personally. Uh, so personally and professionally, it, it's it's the it's the most tangible thing right now that we can that we can do. And I think a lot of people don't quite uh, get the concept of resilience. It's it's something that I think people equate to the ability to bounce back. Like that's their philosophy. I, I just threw up a graphic on the screen that says this little little uh, saying, like a, a fortune cookie saying that you've got to develop resilience before you need it. That's that's the key. I mean, so many people, I think this year in particular with, uh, with COVID have gotten caught off guard. And the, the fear that, that it has produced has really impeded many people from growing, growing in their business and growing personally. So to me, the answer to that, the answer to the virus, if you will, is resilience. Yes. Is there a vaccine and is a vaccine important? And, and uh, all of that is, uh, you know, a person's sort of personal uh, choice in terms of whether the vaccine is something they're going to take or not. But regardless of that, 
resilience is the vaccine. Resilience is not just the vaccine for the COVID uh, crisis and, and, and for that, but it's for any disruption. It's for any level of, of change or uncertainty that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And resilience is something that anybody can develop. Our company has been doing quite a bit of research about resilience years now. And, and for me, when I look at the successes in my own life, both in my personal life, which we can talk a little bit about that, as well as talk about professionally, the one common denominator in every new, new achievement or new high watermark in, in my personal or my professional life has always been this, this resilience, this thing that sort of sounds or feels intangible and defining it and, and being able to understand it and understand how it is that you cultivate it and grow it and strengthen it, that's become much more of my life work in the last several years. Mm. Now, for some, this can be a really tricky idea of you know, how, how do they start? Like some people, I know if, if they've been living for a long time in a state of, uh, in a reactive state and always sort of, you know, ducking their head in the sand when 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 things go rough. Hearing you speak about resilience, how how do they, you know, how do they start? I mean, where, where does one start with that that process of being a bit yeah. more resilient? Well, I think if no, it's such a great question, Vit, because it resilience is in some ways we have to start about saying what it's not. I think it's an easy place first to begin, and then let's talk about what it actually is. So. What it's not is, is endurance. Resilience isn't about how you endure. So this is not about, you know, the Rocky Balboa mode or, of being where, you know, if you can remember from the Rocky, I think there's eight Rocky movies that Sylvester Stallone has made. But for me, the most impactful was the first one, probably because I was a little kid and I saw that movie with my dad. And I remember being in the theater and seeing, you know, this larger than life character who's in the in the ring and for folks that have never seen it you got to see the original 1976 version of rocky right so rocky gets knocked down and he of course gets back up right vit he gets knocked down he gets back up he gets knocked down he gets back up he gets knocked down i don't know dozens of times in that movie you know and every single time the guy gets back up and so what ends up happening is he wins our hearts and we love him as a character he wins our hearts but he loses the fight, right? Mm. And and I'm originally from the East Coast of the United States, New York, and and as as my uh, brethren from that area would probably say, at the end of Rocky, he don't look too good, right? He don't he he's all <laughs> banged up, and he loses and he loses the fight. And our research is really clear when it comes to resilience. Resilience is not about endurance. It's not purely physical. It's mental, it's emotional, it's even spiritual. It's not about how we are, are enduring, it's about how we recover. That the, 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 the uh, information that we've been able to gather is clear that recovery rituals, the, the, the development of our recovery rituals is really key to developing our resilience. So first of all, it's not about endurance, it's about recovery. It's not about bouncing back. As so many people think resilience is all about bouncing back. It's really about bouncing forward. That's why to me, it's so tangible for everybody at this place in their life, wherever people are personally or professionally, developing your resilience now is so key, not just because it will help you to bounce forward from the current situation, which has created great change across the globe, but it will help you to bounce forward in the future when disruption comes again. Because one thing we know for certain, this is not the last time that our world or our markets will be disrupted. It may not be this virus again, it will be something else. But rest assured, it will be, it will be something. And regardless, I mean, this is the first time we've seen it sort of on a, on a macro scale, that one single event took out the entire world. We may never see that again. We may, we may never. But we know for sure that in our personal lives, we have things taking us out all the time. Every, every year, like clockwork, it's going to be something. It might be the death of someone in your life. It might be a, a business idea that doesn't work, that you have to pivot, right? I, my first book was called Pivot. And it's, 
it's the case that you may well have to pivot in your life or pivot in your business in some way. And all of those things you have to develop resilience for. So what I, I, I would say is that right now there are three ways that everybody can increase their level of resilience. And I think as a, a starting point, we have to have a baseline. We have to have a benchmark. You know, benchmarking is so important. I've been a CEO for many, many years. I was a lawyer for 18 years as well. We've got to know where we're starting from. So for the people who are watching, listening to this right now, you can go to a simple uh, website, to a URL to get a, a, a read on where you're at, to get your rank uh, resilience-wise, if you will. You can go to your.resilienceculture.com, your.resilienceculture.com. And in three minutes, that's the beauty of it, this assessment will basically let you know what your score is, what your rank is in those four key areas of resilience. The physical area, of course, we understand it's there's a physical element to it, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. So that will help to establish what's the benchmark, what's that, that starting point, or I should say the baseline. And then from there, we build. And the three things that we build are the three things that you can see on the screen right now. We've got a develop these themes of resilience, the theme of reframing, the theme of resetting, and the theme of regenerating. And we can choose to dive into any one or all of these things during during our interview. It's, you know, whatever you think is going to serve the audience best. Right. I, so a few things I want to add. So the, firstly, the assessment, the online assessment is, the online assessment <clears throat> is an excellent tool. Definitely. I've done it. I'm just trying to look up my stats but i'll see if i can oh, get, did you get your score i love it yeah That's i got so my great. score yeah, yeah absolutely i'm just gonna see if i can find it but i'll get to that in a second the other thing just to reiterate in my own understanding so the way you explain the resilience is not about the uh a status quo or that, that stereotypical notion that you always have to be uh a tough to endure and if you can't endure that means you're not resilient it's not about that it's about yeah. being able to recover when when the you know, when there's roadblocks, when there's obstacles, when there's challenges, and when you're not, you may or you may not overcome them. It's not about that. It's about being able to recover from it and learn from it and then come back again stronger. Right. Bounce forward. Bounce forward. Yeah. Yes. So creating momentum out of adversity. Mm hmm. I love you know, it. We have a we have a book that's, as you said, is in pre order now, but when this show launches, it'll probably be that the book has, has already officially launched, the I Love My Life Challenge, which is a workbook. It's a 28-day workbook that's focusing on one area of resilience, which is how we how we feel about ourselves. You know, the root, the root of of everything is is love. And the either either the love that we give ourselves or the love that we withhold from ourselves. So that's that's a book that's really important right now in the world that we're living in. But we have another book coming out later in the year called Change Proof, Leveraging the Power of Uncertainty to Build Long-Term Success. And that book is focused more from a business perspective on how it is that we do actually leverage uncertainty because we're mm. we're living we're living in great times of great uncertainty. But but ultimately all of these things are intended for us to move forward. Like that's the only purpose is that we're able to move forward because the past doesn't exist. The It's dead. But yet so many people live somewhat in the past. And by that, I mean, they, they live with the thoughts of the past, the, re, the, the regrets of the past, the resentments of the past, and, and they carry it with them. They carry the weight of those things. So th there's no question that, um, Resilience is something that you're not just building to be able to stand back up like Rocky. It's so that you can move forward. Absolutely. Adam, can I ask you a personal question? Absolutely. In your life, have you ever had a time where you were, you know, living in the past and how did you go through that? Yeah, that I I gotta tell you that I when I was a lawyer and I was unhappy. I used to, I used to wake up in the morning and and I'm not sure if you can relate to this or not, but I used to put my feet on the floor and feel sense of uh, something was wrong, something was off. I would sometimes even feel anxiety at the beginning of the day, and and even if I'm being honest, dread 
this sense of something dreadful, you know, sort of in the future for me. And it was a really, it was a really rough way to begin the day. And I, I was ignoring, and I would say that what would play out for me at times was looking back to a time in my life when I wasn't, when I didn't feel that way, looking back and thinking about my life before when I was in college or when somehow I didn't have as many responsibilities or when I still had all my full head of hair, you know? (laughs) So it was looking back a lot of the time, looking in my rear view mirror, and it would only contribute to that, that sense of anxiety. It would only fuel my anxiety. It would fuel my sense of, of uh, something is off. And it it wasn't a culmination, let's say a culminating event, but it was a a, a, a like a, a climactic event, I'll say, that I ended up in the hospital on a Saturday when I was supposed to be at our son's baseball game. And instead I was in the hospital on a gurney in the emergency room with electrodes stuck to my chest, thinking I was never going to see my kids again. How old were you? I was probably 40 years old and I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. My heart was pounding so hard. It felt like it was beating on the outside of my chest and I was sweating profusely. And, and my wife had a look in her eye, like, you know, something's really, really wrong here. And, and the good news is I didn't have a heart attack that day. I wasn't having a cardiac arrest. I was having, according to the doctor, an anxiety attack. That was brought on by a lot of too much, too much thinking (laughs) about the past, anxiousness, anxiety uh, producing uh, or thoughts that produced anxiety and Mm -hmm. too much coffee, caffeine, not sleeping well, all culminating in me having this, this, uh, this sort of moment where it became so crystal clear that something had to change. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was a catalytic moment for me. I realized that day that I needed to pivot. That and it, call it that, I left the hospital feeling very grateful. My wife and I both very relieved that that what it was was what it was, and it wasn't worse, frankly. And it wasn't too long after that that I sort of realized that that a bigger a bigger shift and change was was required. The good news was that I didn't have to have a midlife crisis at that time in my life. It it felt like that's where I was going. Like that was the path I was headed on, you know, quit my job. I, I owned my own law firm, but to sort of close down, close shop, I don't know, move to Fiji or, or some other beautiful place in the world and, and start over or, or just do something different. And that was too extreme for me. I, 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 I've never been a jump ship guy. That's never been part of my makeup. I'm much more conservative, but yet I wasn't willing to tolerate any longer that mediocrity, that way of living and feeling afraid all the time or the, just so like, you know, right at the, at the surface was that anxiety. I could feel it or touch it, you know, pretty much any time of the day. So instead uh, of having a midlife crisis, we just planned, created a midlife calling uh, instead. Mm-hmm. I wonder somebody might be listening you were 40 by then so that was most of your career you were a lawyer 18 years 18 years and you entered into that career with a passion for law i was a lawyer uh not so much by passion uh as as it was by uh i made i made a conscious choice that i wanted to get my money situation handled all right, so it's, it's purely monetary kind of a driven career choice because as it as it turned out, it was a good career choice for me for for the period that I was for a large part of the time because I love counseling. I love mm-hmm. helping people and and part of my work to this day is as you said in the introduction, working as an executive mentor for mm-hmm. leaders who are either running their own organizations or those running others. And I love that part of my lawyering life was that I counseled people, uh, but I also fought. I was a professional gladiator, a courtroom attorney. And, and so much of what I spent my day doing was being angry and using my anger because I was angry. 
I was angry because my life wasn't, didn't feel the way I wanted it to feel. I mean, I was so, it was so ridiculous on some level. I was married to my college sweetheart to this day, my love of my life. And we have four healthy kids have plenty of money. And yet I was waking up in the morning feeling like crap and, and getting through the day on coffee and angry, really quick to anger. You know, those were symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like there were aspects that you you were passionate about the counseling stuff. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm asking you these questions because I'm trying to see if there is an advice that we, that come out of it for somebody else when it comes to career choice, because, you know, be ideal if people wouldn't have to go through all that like you did to then realize at the age of 40 that it wasn't their calling right well you know it's it's interesting you should say that because on some level you know the book pivot was is a book about how you construct a life calling on on some level it's 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 a book that helps people to put the steps in place mm. to evaluate where they are in their life at the moment and whether they need to pivot or want to pivot, I'd say, because nobody needs to do anything. Need need is a scarcity word in many ways. This is about consciously choosing something that you want. I wanted to make a change. So ultimately, I, I was able to do that over the course of about two and a half years and then leave the law, close down my law practice, have another business up and running and earning money is almost as much as my legal career was paying me. But it took it took time and a methodical approach. So people who are wherever they are at the moment, it's not about the past. Again, it's not about, let's say, how much time you've spent doing something you don't love right now, or you were passionate about something a while ago, but you're no longer passionate about it, or you're passionate about it, but you don't know how to you know, make any money at it. If you realize that it's time to pivot, make a change, you can start from where you are and build slowly or not so slowly the way I did so that you're constantly moving in the future. You're constantly moving forward toward what you want. We're mm-hmm. not stuck even for a minute thinking about what I wasted already, how much time. I, yeah, I spent 18 years in the law, but I I did really well in that arena. I developed skills. I developed what sometimes is called like the the uh, career capital or the crafts, you know, craftsman skills mm-hmm. in areas that I still use to this day. I use it with with my clients and I use it in running my, my own business. So I don't I didn't waste 18 years, but for sure I think a lot of people they think that they've got so much time in something or money even invested in something. So they call it like the sunk cost. And that's a fallacy. I write it. That's in the book as well. You talk about that sunk cost fallacy. We think it's too late for me to make a change. I've got too much at risk. Too much. They've, they've, they've invested too much and they kept building. And every time they build onto it, it gets harder to, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. And that keeps you, that keeps you again, you're, you're stuck. And in many ways, it's about looking backward. Because you're looking back and going, the reason I can't change today, the reason I can't pivot even a one little small step, which is really the heart of the pivot process, which we can we can talk about in a, in a minute as well. But the reason that they won't make that change is because they look in the past and go, I can't give that up. What what if what if I do something now that that makes what I've done already irrelevant? And and I'll lose that. I'll lose. I've lost the time. I've lost the money. I've lost the investment. So they're 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 moving forward, carrying the weight of their past decisions and investments and everything else. And it's ridiculous. You've just got this one shot, as far as we know. I mean, I I believe we're eternal beings, but you know, let's just say in this one body suit we're wearing, you get this one shot. Who knows? In the next life, you might just be a a fly, you know, <laughs> who knows? Right. We certainly don't know. So what we do know is this is our, this is our shot, right? Mm. You don't want to waste your shot. Yeah. I think it might be also because too many people are thinking too much about the other people, other people think of them, the environment, you know, if, if they, if they're considering, okay, well, how do I quit? I've been in doing, doing this gig for 20 years, trying to build this thing for 20 years, not seeing success, but I've also invested so much effort and time and, it feels like a failure if I if I leave now. So maybe 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 
is it maybe because of the environment? Like they, they, they think too much about others? Well, again, it's, you know, what other people think of you is, is really none of your business. I wish mm. I, I was the one that wrote that line. I believe that was Eleanor Roosevelt. So long, long ago, but it, it's such a powerful statement. You know, what other people think of you is none of your business. And yet we live our lives in so many ways operating from a place of pleasing. Yeah. Whether it's to please our spouse or please our parents or please our friends or please the friends, quote, unquote, friends on Facebook <laughs> or something ludicrous like that. And yet we we live in that place often of, of pleasing. And that's just none of our business. That's not our proper business. And, and if you could just recapture the energy that it go that goes into pleasing other people and harness and direct that energy toward moving forward in in the direction of things that you want out of life i guarantee you get you get some additional results and part of the problem could be also that they don't love themselves enough that's why they try and well, please others and that's you know in part the reason why so you mentioned again in, in, in the introduction that I gave a TED talk that went mm. viral and that TED talk is about what you're, you're talking about now. So for me, I don't, I don't think that I, I did love myself unconditionally at, a, at for so many years of my life was really about making, making other people happy, pleasing other people, uh, just not feeling even deserving or worthy in some, in some ways. And so ultimately it became a Ted talk. And, and then later we decided that this through line, the central idea of this Ted talk was the question, what if you decided to love your life, no matter what, like, what if you just decided right now, I'm going to love my life no matter what. And, and what's interesting about that is that it, it is not a, a, a resignation or a, an acceptance, let's say, of the status quo. It is not giving up on the idea or the goal to improve. It's accepting yourself as you are in this moment so that you can use that as a foundation to build from. Because if we're not, if that's not the foundation, if acceptance of ourselves, if love of ourselves is not the foundation that we build upon, we're building on sand. We're building on things that aren't sustainable. Right. And then how can you be good for others? How can you be the right, right role model, the father or, or boss for others, your team, if you if you're not, if you don't value yourself, right? This is so this is so important. So important, so fundamental, foundational. And, and that's why the, the I Love My Life Challenge workbook was something we said, you know, we have, we have some ideas around that and figured 28 days is a good, you know, good length of time for people to commit to something that they can test out and try for themselves. And it's workbook. So it's work, you know, you doing it less mm. about me sort of pontificating about things, even though I, I share some, some thoughts and, and theory in, in the book, but it's more about a person actually trying this stuff on for themselves to see what it's like. And I had a call this morning with, with someone who's the wife of, of, a, of a friend of mine, a dear uh, new friend, collaborator, we're working on, on some projects together. And, and she and I were just chatting about, because she's in the, act, in the acting space and in the United States and probably throughout the world, the arts have really taken a massive hit. Mm. You know, anybody in the arts right now, it's like, you know, you, they're, they're really struggling. You know, yeah. most of those projects were shut down and, and that kind of thing. So she's had a challenging time with it because she, she wants to love her life, but there are parts about her life that she doesn't, that she's not in love with, right? Or not happy about. And so the question is, can you acknowledge that there are places in your life you want to improve? There are things in your life that you're not satisfied with and yet still love your life, no matter what, is that possible? And you, you know, when you say it like that, the question is the obvious answer is, of course, of course it is. And she's a parent. So I, I was using her kid 
Her relationship with her child is an example of that. I said, so if your eight-year-old son comes home with something he made at school, and you can imagine because we've all been kids. I mean, not everybody's a parent right now, but we all <laughs> we all were born and we all have parents. So we we were all at some time a child. And you, you can imagine that child coming home with a sculpture, let's say, you know, something they made out of clay. I mean, as a parent, do you do you love what that child produced? I mean, with right, Vit, without question. Without question. And and if you took a look at your kid's clump of clay, right? <laughs> Right? Would you love it any less because some other kids clump of clay look better than your kids? No. Not in a million years, man. Not in a million years. You just wouldn't. Does it mean that the clump of clay couldn't be better? That he, you know, he or she could do a do a, you know, work work in a better way to create something that that might look better or be more functional? Of course. There's room for improvement. But without a doubt, you you love it just the way it is. And you can love it the way it is and still understand that a year from now, if that kid practices working the wheel, that the clay will be molded in a different, in a different way. And it could look entirely different and maybe even be something, you know, that much more beautiful than, than even what they produced originally. And that's the way it is with our lives. Are there things about our clump of clay that, that we call our life that we don't lesser necessarily think are so gorgeous, beautiful, effective, whatever? Yeah. They've got a lot of imperfections. There's a lot of imperfections in our in 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 the clay of our lives. But we don't look at ourselves and that clay the way we'd look at our kid or look at some, you know, look at a child's creation with nothing but love and acceptance. We look at our clay and go, that sucks. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, how how else are they supposed to improve if they don't see some some form of recognition or or approval, right? If they don't get any 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 laugh from their parent, how are they supposed to uh, grow as a person, right? It's very difficult. So I think this is so important. Mess, very very important message that we're talking about here. Relevant whether it's parent kids, whatever, or you're, you know, young teenager going through some tough time in school or, or, you know, some, some stupid messages on social media from classmates about you or, you know, whatever it be, you're good enough. That's the key message here. I love it. And the book, the, the workbook, uh, I love my life workbook. I know at the time we're recording is now, it's, you know, 19th December, this is going in a product in a, in Sorry, this is going to be available yep. in when? It's the beginning of January. But you, you know, for folks that may be hearing this after after January, you can go to the I Love My Life Challenge.com. If you go to I Love My Life Challenge.com, you can find out more about the availability of the book wherever you live, as well as there's some bonuses and things that go along with the book. But yeah, it's, I'll read the, the subtitle too, which is pretty cool. The Art and Science of Reconnecting with Your Life, A Breakthrough Guide to Spark Joy, Innovation, and Growth. So it's a book that's not just personal development. It really is in many ways a book that's intended for teams and for business mm -hmm. uh, as well. Because uh, my perspective in writing this book was who I was as a burned out CEO, as a burned out entrepreneur. And being, being burned out is not conducive to loving your life. And loving your life is conducive to developing resilience. And that's why to me, you know, if we're creating what's that foundational level that we would want all of to be, to be building from and building on, it's that place that you said earlier bit about accepting yourself, about loving, loving, even loving yourself. And I know a lot of people listen to this that that are be like, you know, well, my parents, they never gave me that kind of praise. I'm, I'm not saying everybody's thinking this, but a number of people for sure are thinking, you know, my parents never said a good word to me. Or mm -hmm. I remember that time I brought home that piece of clay Adam's talking about. And my, my, you know, somebody said, that's crap, <laughs> you know, throw that out. Or they didn't say a word, you know, just completely ignored it. So yeah. I get it. You know, we all have these different, these different histories and, and so much of how we feel about ourselves and whether we truly do accept ourselves, love even, love ourselves, is developed between the time we're born and eight years old. 
uh, won't get, get into a whole lot of psychology here, but when I work with people, it's interesting. We often go back there. We go back there to develop one single, like I go back to retrieve, you know, earlier I said, we don't live in the past. We have to move forward. Everything's about moving forward, but we can gain wisdom from a, a sort of a clinical or a, a scientific examination of certain things in our past to look for for the the clues, if you will, that help us to move forward. And, and one of those clues is what did we learn about about the meaning of love when we were too young to be able to define it for ourselves? Because that's when it ingrains in us. It 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 becomes a part of our a way of being when we're six years old and we see something, we hear something. So for me to be quite uh, transparent about this, when I was about six, seven, eight years old, my parents were fighting all the time. Mm. And some, some of those fights were, were, were nearly violent. And, and I, I just, I learned a lot about love that wasn't accurate at that time. And it defined love for me in a certain way. I mean, there was a lot of fear and insecurity around what love meant for me at least learning it then. It took it forward into my adult life until I was able to re-examine it. And I think with all of us, you know, we have to go back to the what I like to refer to as the first domino and to find the first domino for so many things. You want to know why your business isn't doing as well as it could be doing? We got to find the first domino. Why your sales team might not be performing as well? It's the first domino. You want to understand why you're not happy or or your relationships haven't worked out, or why you are physically not healthy. We got to find that for every case is whatever the, the challenge is, we got to look for the first domino. And that's the thing we got to go back to find, examine, and then decide what we do in, in that instance. So like with love, it's simple. The first domino is your definition of it from the time you were little. And then we get the chance to redefine it. With, with new information and new awareness, we can redefine it. That's why what's great about life is it doesn't matter what your age. People think, you know, I'm 60. It's too late for me. I'm 70. We have clients. So part of our work in the world today is that, as I said, I work, I work with individuals in business. Our team, our company, More Love Media, works with individuals and with teams and, and organizations to help them communicate more effectively. So whether it's to learn how to de develop speaking skills or get on a TED stage or things of that sort, it's, it's really important that, that we become, you know, more, more effective uh, communicators. And, uh, and, and this idea of finding, finding that, that one domino, that first domino, and going back and reframing it, learning it uh, anew, learning or making that change now that would change the results going forward is really doable. We get people who are 60 years old. I mean, I have somebody who's studying with us right now to develop a TED talk in 2021 and she's in her seventies. She went back to get her PhD in her mid fifties. She became a doctor in her sixties. She's a psych psychoanalyst. I mean, and right now I think we, we've got three people from great Britain that are working with us. They're all in their sixties as well, working on, their, their, either their keynote or their TED Talks. You go, so there's no age at which it's not possible to make that change, make that pivot towards something that is, is important. And I, I, wanna, I just want to say that only because, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they kind of say, well, geez, if I just knew this 20 years ago, you know, it'd be so much better for me. And I, I'm not saying that isn't true, but those 20 years that you're that you're you know sort of looking at as as maybe you wish it would be would have been different those 20 years are vital they're absolutely vital to putting you in the position that you're in right now to be able to move from this place because again if the perspective is i wish the 20 years hadn't been what they are and now i'm kind of a little bit hooped and in a bad spot because i screwed some things up then mm. or you know, I, I, I messed up my opportunities to earn more money or to save more money or, or grow my money or any of it. It stops you now from building right here from the position you're in because we'll, we'll sort of snap our fingers, blink our eyes. It'll be 20 years again. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's not motivational. I'm not looking to motivate anybody. It's just the reality. It, it, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not it's not to, you know, yeah, stop stop looking at it as a failure. It's not a failure. It's all experiences in your life. I really like the quote from uh, Nancy that was on the on an episode last time. She she was sharing a story how she, you know, she lost everything during the market crash and you know, she's got a young baby and she had to start from ground up and she was trying to get figure out this whole online marketing game as a as a as a as a means to, you know, uh, build some revenue streams. And she said the thing, she said, you know, you either win or you lose is what a lot of people say. But I started to say to myself, well, yeah, I, I either win or I learn. Mm. And I really like that. So same same what you're saying. And the other thing I wanted to point out uh, is, or, or say, um, oh, add to, to what you were saying is, uh, just lost my train of thought. If you're, this whole thing about finding life and the domino and going through that first domino in your childhood, right, can be easier said than done. Right, because if it's hmm. you know, say you're 50 now, and you're trying to pinpoint that moment when you're five year old, six year old, whatever happened when you were in your in childhood, can be very difficult, right? What we what, what are some of the tools would you recommend? Maybe psychologists, hypnosis, or, or well, I have a great book recommendation for one thing. It Michael Brown is from South Africa. He wrote a book called The Presence Process. I probably have referred or referred to this book several hundred times and I hope Michael is somewhere in the world and and just, you know, his his life is is good and his book sells all the time because he did something magical and and really transformational in the in writing this book. And the the book in many ways is a guide to going back to that moment in time that we were talking about mm -hmm. and being able to then pinpoint what it was you learned and then how it is that you integrate that experience now so that you can move forward and redefine for yourself the most important thing that we that we define in our lives which is what love means i mean Again, I, I work with people who are doctors and engineers and a lot of left brain people. I was a lawyer for eight, 18 years, so I'm a little bit left brain too, not just the right brain stuff, you know, the feel good, self-help, woo-woo-y stuff or whatever. So so I can say that it's it doesn't matter whether you're a, a very sort of mushy-gushy, heart-centered person or you're more of an intellectual, uh, you know, headspace person. The most important thing we define for ourselves in our lives is love. You will not build anything lasting, fulfilling, worthwhile in this world without love. You just won't. It will never, never be what you want it to be, what you expect it to be, uh, what it could be if it's not, if it's not based, if it's not rooted in, in love. So, you know, with, with a lot of people in leadership roles, they're, they sometimes are, are not equipped to be great leaders because they themselves are leading from a place that doesn't really, uh, that, that draws on a faulty definition of love as an example. Hmm. So even when I'm working with a CEO, I still want to explore this with them because their leadership is a reflection of how they, how they either love or don't love themselves or how they define love because you can define love based on your personal history as uh, you can define it as anger. You can define it as abuse. You can define it as so many things. It's odd. I mean, that's why when you hear about like some people that were abused as children who become abusers as adults of their kids, even though they know it's not right to abuse a child, they still abuse because it's, it's actually how they define what love feels like. That's the definition they got, not ironically, tragically, as a child having been abused. We don't know any better. That's the vit. When we're eight years old, six years old, five, four, whatever, we don't know any better. Like we couldn't possibly know any better. Our cognitive abilities haven't even yet developed. Mm. It's a really important thing that we are able to explore this stuff. And, and yeah, you know, you said, what do you do? Do you go to a psychologist? Yeah, absolutely. If you, you feel like a therapist is a good place to go, I highly recommend that. I love the book by Michael Brown. And, and I also feel like, 
you know, anybody listening or watching this right now can, can think in terms of go back to a time when you were very young and if it could be somewhere before you're eight years old or thereabouts and think of something that happened in your house or something where you could say, so that was an important event in my life. Maybe even that was something that I felt a little traumatized by. Like if your parents get divorced or, you know, any number of other things can happen. Um, you just learn something in that moment. And it's probably a first step to go back and think about what those things are, track them down, write them down, and then not judge them, not you know, say, oh, this is why I'm the way I am, or I'm so messed up because, you know, my parents didn't pay any attention to me. They just like gave me, you know, the key and said, here, have at it or whatever. If you can be neutral about it for the moment so that you could just sort of dig it out of the dirt, so to speak, without, because we resist. And a lot of times we suppress things because they're painful. And so our mind and our you know, a way of uh, surviving, kind of keep those things hidden sometimes. We just don't want to go back and explore it. And so it takes courage to sort of dig up some of that old baggage or old memories. And if, you, if you're able to kind of bring it up to the surface and you can just sit with it even, meaning be aware of it without judging it and accept it, you, you started, that, that becomes your new first domino. Because if you can look at stuff in your life that's been really hard and even traumatic, and and I'll say this is from my standpoint, you know, everybody has to have this experience themselves. But if you, when I can look at things in my past and look at them and accept them, I'm I am relearning, I am reteaching myself what love really is. Love is about unconditional acceptance. So if I can accept those things, I'm, I'm now learning to love differently. And as you said before, what we learn, you know, what we possess ourselves is, the th is what we get to give to others. We can't give something we don't possess. Absolutely. So important. And you talk about example of in leadership today to be a good leader. I, from what I understand and from all the interviews I've done with people who cover this topic, thoughtful leadership is what is really emerging as a, as a, as a new thing. Very important one to be thoughtful to the other people in the organization, to be empathetic and, and all those aspects. So it just makes perfect sense that you first dig out your own shit, if we can call it, all that stuff from back in the days, dig it out, find that domino, clear it up so that you can start to love yourself. And only then you can be more thoughtful and 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 and, and improve your, what's that word? Emotional uh, EQ, sorry. The, am I saying yes. that right? Yeah. You are, yeah. The emotional quotient, right. Or That's what right. people call emotional intelligence sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Because I mean, if you lead people, you, you gotta, you gotta have that skills. You, otherwise you're just dictator or just technical and people will not connect with you as much as they would otherwise. Moving from that. So we've covered so much right now for this last section of the podcast. I, I just wanted to continue on, on your career story. So 40 years. You've you've had that it's called awakening. You moved on and you've started into you started a new business. What was that? Well, I I was uh, I was in in a period of transition. So I went from being a lawyer. Sorry, yeah. So that was a transition too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It was. It, it's interesting because uh, for me, I've had several transitions. But yeah, I, I spent a good bit of time in the legal profession. And then when I realized that I really was selling myself short and didn't want to continue to do that, we created a plan. And ultimately, several years, two years, two and a half years later, I was able to move out of one thing and into another. And, and the reason why I think this is 
important that I, I share this is that I didn't tear down the first bridge, if you will, while I wanted to, uh, my wife and I, we have a house in on this little island off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And we were right around this time when I was not, not knowing really how, how I was going to continue to do what I no longer love doing. I remember we were driving um, over a body of water on this island and there was a bridge, like a drawbridge, so boats could go underneath it. And they were doing some construction on the side of the road. So we pulled over and we asked what was going on. And they said, yeah, this bridge has been here for like a hundred years and it doesn't look like it could survive another big storm. So they're going to build another bridge. And what they did was they built the second bridge. And then when the second bridge was built, they tore down the first one which was the perfect example of pivoting in my world. You don't tear down the first bridge until you've got a second one built. And it, it was funny because years later we saw they were building again and we stopped and asked yet again, what's going on? And they said, well, the bridge we built to replace the old bridge was the temporary bridge, not the permanent bridge. <laughs> so, you know, this is a great, a great story for, uh, you know, construction projects, you know, like municipal projects, they, God knows how much money they spent and uh, all that kind of thing to build two more bridges. But, but it's a perfect pivot story as well, because your pivots are not necessarily permanent. Don't, don't think you're going to pivot once somehow. And, you know, you never have to pivot again. I just, that's not my experience. And the other lesson being you don't necessarily tear down the bridge you've got until you've got another one built. My, my world is you got to fund your pivot fund F U N D you got to pay for it. Like you could invest in learning. Like you said, learning new marketing techniques, learning digital marketing, learning how to speak better. If that's something you're interested in, whatever it is that you want to do, you've got to invest time, energy, and money in it. So if you're struggling for money, if, if what you want is to transition out of one thing and into another thing immediately and have it paying for your life, it's not a, it's not a good recipe that you set yourself up for a really tough do versus you work on the second, this other thing while you maintain a source of income so you can continue to fund the research and development of your pivot. And then, boom. Sometime later, you go, holy smokes, I don't need to maintain that first thing, first thing anymore. Absolutely. I can, you know, let that go or I can sell it. It's very hard when you, if you jump the ship and you've got no safety net, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Very brutal. It's <laughs> brutal. <laughs> and, and when there's no money coming in, then you're going to get into a stress mode. And when you're stressed, your IQ goes down and, and it's just a, a, a roll off effect. It just everything just crashes on you. So you're driven by fear and and fear doesn't never works in our favor when it comes to money or business or lots of things. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to wrap it up, so then you moved on. So you had a transition, you build that second bridge and and then you started the personal development organization that as a result I got the chance to meet you back in Sydney 2016, 15, whatever it was. Yeah. So my transition, so it's it, it, just real quick on this one. When I was pivoting out of law and wanted to help other people reinvent their lives, reinvent their careers, things like that, I didn't, I didn't have any body of work at that point. I was just doing it myself, getting good results, wanting to share it with other people. So I didn't have a body of work. So my transition, if you will, my temporary bridge in the, in the story that I was sharing, my temporary bridge was to work for a company that had content that they had developed and intellectual property they had created. And I was teaching those things. Eventually, I ended up becoming the CEO of that company, which gave me other responsibilities, but it also gave me other freedoms. And one of those freedoms was to start to develop my own content. And when you and I met in Australia, that was something of a, pro it was a program that I had developed and we brought it to Australia to, to, to deliver it and not so much test it. We had done it in the United States and gotten good results, but you know, we'd never done it in Australia. And so that was the temporary bridge. My my longer term bridge was when I decided that I wanted to start my own company, develop 
my own intellectual property and my own content and really establish my own voice as opposed to sort of borrowing a bullhorn from someone else and from their company. Mm. I wanted to develop my own and the universe had a wonderful way of helping me to do that. And that became that, that other bridge that we won't call a permanent bridge because that would be, you know, I think it's just defies reason uh, to call anything permanent. Yeah. It's uh, it's perfect for us right now and we love it. Yeah. And so one of those vehicles through a process, the delivery of the content was public speaking. Tell, mm-hmm. tell, tell us a little bit about that experience of becoming a public speaker. I assume, you know, you, you already had some confidence as a lawyer, you know, you kind of, it's in a way it's public speaking too. So, but it's different, right? Because you're on stage and, and it's slightly different, well, different content and different, different means. So what, what goes, what, what what was that journey like for you to become a public speaker? Well, <laughs> I love this question because <laughs> I am, I'm an introvert and a lot of people who speak publicly are actually introverts. I think other folks kind of look at, at people on stages. Cause I, I did a lot of events with Tony Robbins and, and other people and, you know, large groups. So I speak to 10, 12, thousand people at a time. And you'd think the person who's doing that's gregarious, they're an extrovert, all that. I am not. And a lot of people I know are not, which really means that for me, when I want to recharge my battery, I recharge in small group or alone. And that's how I I recharge. My brother, I have a, a younger brother, and for him, he's an extrovert. So when he wants to recharge, he wants to be around a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. big party, big concert, whatever, like more people, more energy fills him up. For me, not the same. I can do that and be like, I'm a situational extrovert. So, uh, so part of my transition into public speaking was dealing with the fact that I don't really, that's not where I choose to be on sort of for myself. But what I found was that because what I was saying was important to others and why, and it felt so good to see how other people's lives could actually even change a fraction because of something that I shared that I realized it was a calling. And when you are fate, when you, when something's a calling, you get, you get that, like you get over yourself, you get over your insecurity, you get over your shyness, you get over your fear because it's small, it's tiny in comparison to the, 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 the opportunity that exists. And for me, I got, I got over it when I realized it wasn't about me. That was a, sort of the first lesson I learned in public speaking was it's not about me. And from there, I had training and, and mentorship. And the good news after having spoken publicly probably seven or 800 times at this point to a lot of people is that we developed an understanding of how to create impactful and effective talks, communication. And those principles and that uh, philosophy, which is, is mine and ours, our team, that's something we get to share with people now all over the world, which is great. And we do it virtually, which is Amazing. So whereas I used to have to have a hotel mm. in a big, you know, venue or a arena or something and speak to all these people live and in person, now I get to do it virtually and have groups that are smaller, even because it's so easy. I don't have to leave my home to do it. Our team, which is all over the country, all over the uh, North America, we all come together online, you know, on on a on a Zoom, for example. We can serve people from all over the world. So as opposed to everybody's got to be in Sydney for the same event. I've, we've got people now coming in from Sydney and from Great Britain and from Vancouver and from Denver and all together. On, <laughs> and the opportunity to both uh, reach people in a, in a more uh, efficient way and in a more effective way is, is breathtaking because I never thought that that would even could be the case. Could it, um, could it work, right? Could it be the same, have, have the same effect? How could it possibly work is the question I asked. 
How could it ever work? Because you and I were in an event together, so you know how much that energy means and what it's like to be in other people's presence, to be able to hug and high five or cry or whatever, you know, the process is for everybody and getting getting through, you know, the content. And and I never would have expected that we could have the kind of breakthroughs that we get the way we do. It's just uh, one of those things that, again, I, I feel like I had a blinders on. We all, I think, walk with our little blinders. Mine was never would work doing it digitally, doing it virtually. And I will be thrilled when we can go back to doing some live, you know, in-person uh, keynote because I, I love to keynote for organizations and I love to put on events live. Uh, you know, uh, in person. But the fact of the matter is, this is something I'll never give up doing, this new thing. Because to be able to be with somebody from the other side of the world that feels called to do that work, to work on either getting on a TED stage or getting a keynote developer, simply just being able to communicate more effectively with their team or their their leadership uh, at their company, I would never want to not be able to serve that person simply because they couldn't make it to an event that's happening somewhere else in the world for them. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, the accessibility, the 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 instantaneous opportunity to switch on Zoom and help somebody. It's that's what's that's what's really appealing for you. It is. Yeah. yeah. And people who are interested in knowing more about that, they can just go to adammarkell.com and there's a place where it says work work with us, with our team. And if you're curious about what any of that would look like, you can just go to that and and there's information there for uh, for people that uh, you know that mm -hmm. that might be on their path, including become a public speaker. Oh my god, yeah, absolutely. Mhm. Mm Adam, there's so many more questions I could ask, but uh your time is precious. My time is well, I'll value my time to you, but that that aside, I, I wouldn't mind talk more. Uh, but I do like to keep the episodes to an hour. Uh, and also, I've got family there waiting for me to make a breakfast. I've got a little son, six weeks old, so uh, I got to go and spend some time with them. But it's been amazing to uh, to have a chance to reconnect with you after all these years and and see you know and, and get to know you know your progress, that, you know where you're now. And, and and just yeah just just have a good chat you know i think we had a really good chat i think we've provided tons of value to the listeners and i'm already looking forward to edit all this up and you know put all the all the time time stamps to it and, and bits like that so people can find what they're looking for so yeah uh, i appreciate you being on the show taking your time out of your busy schedule to, to jump on a podcast I really appreciate that and thank you again we've mentioned that you've got the the, the book the i love my life challenge so that's coming out in january so guys if you're listening i'm going to put a link in the show notes and i believe there's a little offer that we worked out with with your wife so there's a little little, little offer for you guys so, so just take advantage of that jump on it i highly recommend i, I highly recommend anything that writes because it's it's an exceptional stuff anything else you'd like to say to the listeners adam well, I, I say this to you first of it. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. And the idea that we met in 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 your country and uh, so many years ago, and that we get to connect this way now, is is really special. And I love Australia. So the I don't know how much your listenership is from from your home country, but I am a just a huge lover of Australia. My sister in law is from Adelaide originally, and she still has family there. And there's too many places I can count that I've been to and surfed <laughs> there that I, I would love and look forward to the opportunity to come back someday soon. And just for everybody out there, I'd also say, you know, the, the TED talk that I gave is sort of gives three steps to a morning ritual. One, when we talk about resilience, one of the keys is developing rituals for resilience. So three simple steps to this waking ritual. It's not even a morning ritual, it's a waking ritual. So the first the first step is to wake up. So we got to wake up today, right, Vit? Yeah. All right. So so the the question is for folks out there, are you planning to wake up again tomorrow? And my hope is the answer is yes. We're all planning to wake up tomorrow, but there's no guarantee that we're going to get to wake up tomorrow. I don't have a contract for that. I've yet to meet anybody that has one of those. So when you do get 
to wake up again tomorrow and you realize, yes, I've, I'm waking up right now. You can at the same time realize there was no guarantee. It's a gift. It's, it's a blessing and you can feel great, grateful for it. So the first part of this waking ritual is to wake up. The second part is to feel grateful, just to experience gratitude right at the very beginning of your day. And the third part, if you're willing to do it, is to put your feet on the floor. And you remember I said earlier, I shared about how I used to put my feet on the floor, I'd feel that anxiety. Now, when I put my feet on the floor, the first things that come out of my mouth are four simple words, but they're really powerful. I love my life. Those are my four words. So that's the waking ritual. Wake up, feel gratitude and say something out loud that that really feels right to you in the moment. You could say, I love my life, but you could say anything. You could say, you know, I wonder what miracles are coming today. You know, whatever it is that you, you feel called to stay, that's my recommendation. You start tomorrow and you keep it up. And if you end up being with us for the 28-day challenge, fantastic. But otherwise, you can start your own challenge. See how long you can keep it up. I've been going, I, I guess, now almost 12 years with that same waking ritual. That's that it. would be the last thing I'd say. I love it. And just to add to that also, I'm a fitness guy, so I'm gonna add an ex extra like an extension to Adam's <laughs> ritual. So what I do, guys, wake up, I do 50 push-ups, 50 squats, 50 sit-ups, but I break it down. So I would do 20, 20, 20, and then 30, 30, 30 with a bit of stretching. Might take me 10 minutes. Go in the bathroom, take a cold shower. I'm a big believer in, you know taking cold shower in the morning and especially you know lately i mean i've started this you know about a year ago and i when i got to learn about wim hof so i highly recommend cold shower because it just wakes you up it just fires you up and then you know brush my teeth and do all my all, all that sort of stuff so a little bit of exercise cold shower and then get on with your day but before that add in adam's ritual and i think you'll have a really good kickstart to your day Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Vid. Have a great rest of your uh, your morning and, and go enjoy time with the, the little one. Yes, absolutely. Will do. Okay, All buddy. Right. Look forward to connecting again in the future, brother. You, uh, you do well. 